this morning. Uh, by the way, I, I, if you haven't already figured out, I'm going to teach very differently than Pastor Don. If you don't like it, he'll be back next week. Uh, <laughs> if you do like it, well, uh, come to young adults. I don't know. <laughs> but um, this morning, I want to teach a little bit differently, and I want to look at um, a story from the Bible uh, that has to deal with a wall. And if you are familiar with your Bible, you probably know which wall that I'm talking about, but maybe not, and this is good. I'll leave you in suspense for a little bit longer. But I also want to connect this with how sometimes in our lives we come into, we, we come across these things that resemble walls, right? That get in the way of us doing what we expected we would be doing. What do we do when we encounter these walls that we thought we were supposed to be going through and all of a sudden there's a, there's a wall in the way? And what do we do when those walls that we encounter not only exist, but seem unbreakable? And so this morning I want to look at that story that I was telling you about, that if I'm being honest, and I think this is important, okay, I will be honest with you, and I will tell you that I struggle to believe this happened. And you're like, oh, what? Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I know that this happened, and I'll show you why I know that this happened, but I'm also going to show you why it doesn't matter if, it, if I can't figure out in my brain how this happened. My brain wants to do that. It wants to figure out how this happened, and, I'm, and I struggle. I go, I don't, I, I can't think of any possible way, aside from God intervening, that this would have happened. And so my, my human, not scientific brain, because I'm not at all scientific, but, you know, my scientific brain struggles with this story. And it's a story about the Israelites and what they did when they encountered walls, or in particular, a wall in their lives. But first, I got to tell you about this story. Uh, no, not a story, a video. Got to tell you about a video that I saw online. And I, I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not really a rock climber. It's not something that I do. Uh, I've done it a couple of times, but I don't really know what I'm doing or what's, you know, uh, what's impressive or anything like that. But I saw this video of a guy, and it's what seemed to be a rock climbing competition, potentially. Wasn't a lot of people there. Uh, the few people that were there were, were shouting his, this, this guy's name as he was starting his rock climbing adventure. And it was these like two massive circles on either side of him that were probably like, I don't know, four or five feet apart, like as wide as his arms could reach to hold on to uh, these circle things. And that was like, the, if I remember correctly, that was like the first obstacle that he encountered on this wall. And so I watched him grab onto those quickly because I think it was timed. And then I saw him like assess what his next step would be. And like me watching this video with no idea what's impressive or what's normal with rock climbing, I'm looking at this going, there is no possible way he's getting up this. There's, there is no next step. He's done. He's going to fall down. His arms are going to tire out and he's going to drop. And there, all of a sudden, he like, like frog jumps in the air. I don't, I don't understand how he did it, but he like pulled himself up and grabbed onto like the top of the circle. Well, now he has like his feet as leverage and he pulls himself on top of these circles and then he carries on throughout the rest of the wall to the, to the next obstacle. And, and like I said, like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but to me, my mind was like, what? How did he just do that? That is impossible what that man just did. My mind was blown. He did something that I didn't think was possible. And not only did he get past that first obstacle, but he carried on to the top of the wall and set a time. And I don't know if he won or not. I didn't look into it. But there's a good chance that if you're like me, when we are presented with a real life wall like that rock climber was, we look for stairs, a ladder, or a way around the wall. We just avoid the, the rock climbing wall at 
as much as we can. But sometimes those walls that we face aren't physical walls. And I'm talking about the obstacles and and the barriers that we each face in our lives. It's critically important that we talk about what do we do when we encounter these walls. It's important that we have a plan, that we expect these things to happen, because life is not always going to be perfect. It's not going to go exactly the way you expect it to go. And so, when it doesn't go that way, what do we do? Do we panic? What do we do when we encounter a wall in our lives that seems impossible to, um, to overcome? Is this something that you spend any time considering? Or do you do what I think everyone else does, which is just, you know, you know how we're supposed to have an, an emergency evacuation plan at home? If there's a fire, you're supposed to know, like, how are you getting out? Who's grabbing what? What's really going to happen is you're going to wake up in the middle of the night, the fire alarm's going off, you're going to make the fastest run to the door, grabbing the most valuable things you can on the way out. We should have a plan, but we don't always take the time to consider what that would look like. And so are you like most of us? Are you just reacting to the wall every time you get close to it? So this morning, I plan to look at a group of people who encountered what I would say was an impossible wall. And I believe that their experience and what God did for them will teach us how to overcome and conquer walls that we may encounter in our own lives. So the first key element that we're going to talk about is faith. And that's from Hebrews chapter 11. There'll be a slide up on the screen, verse 6. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. How important is having faith? (laughs) Pretty important if you want a relationship with God. Since no one draws near to him, uh, sorry, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. And so right after this verse, the author of Hebrews then takes their time to walk the listener through some examples of other stories and other uh, scenarios that they would be familiar with. For instance, Noah. Noah needed faith because he was building a boat on dry land. That requires faith. As people come up and mock him for building a boat on dry land, what are you doing? There's no water here. If you're building this boat, how are you going to get it to the water? What's wrong with you? God told me to build it. I, I have faith, right? Abraham was sent to an unknown place. And because he obeyed and showed that he had faith in God, he was promised that God would look after him and his many, many descendants. Sarah, his wife, showed her faith in God by believing that she would be able to have a child even though she was well out of the age of someone who would normally be having a kid. And so her faith was rewarded, and the descendants that God promised them came through that. Abraham then needed some more faith to trust in God when they finally got this God-promised son, and they were told to then go and sacrifice him on, on an altar. If you don't see Jesus in that story, just reread it, okay? The, 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 it wasn't the lamb that we needed. Jesus came later. It was a ram. It was something in, in the meantime. But just go look at, this, at the similarities in that story. It's incredible. Anyways, Isaac needed faith. Jacob needed faith. Moses needed faith. So did Gideon, so did Samson, so did David, so did Samuel, so did all the prophets. Faith was an essential element in their lives. The the reason that we continue to tell the stories of their lives is because they either needed to have faith or because they did have faith. 
And it's also an essential element in our lives and in our relationships with God. It's so essential that without faith, a relationship with God, according to these verses, that that verse I showed you, is essentially impossible. And so this is where we're going to get to the story that I want to focus on this morning. My first point focuses on faith and the importance that faith played in this story. So the story that I'm talking about is from Joshua chapter 6. You probably know it as the walls of Jericho. This is the story that I want to look at. So here's, here's a bit of a recap before Joshua 6. So Moses has, has died, okay? And Joshua has taken over. He's the new Moses. He's the new leader. And so, like Moses was, he, he led them across the Jordan River, and, and they're on their way now to the promised land. This is it. Moses didn't get to go, remember? And now Joshua is taking over, and now he's leading them to the promised land. They're, this is it. It's happening. They sent some spies. If you know the story, you know the story. The problem is, <laughs> they, they cross the water, and, you know, they're just minding their own business. They're doing their own thing. And then they look up, and there's a ginormous wall in front of them. God promised them this land. They were doing what God told them to do. And they're like, here we go. We're going to do everything right. We're following God. This is going to go exactly how we planned it. God is in control. What are these walls? What is going on here? So here they are. They're finally able to enjoy the land they promised, and there's a giant wall surrounding it. So we're not just talking about an old split rail fence that might be on the border of an old farm property that you might see that's sort of deteriorating and it's got moss growing on it and if you just like sneeze, it will fall over. We're not talking about that kind of wall, okay? These are strong, fortified walls built with the main purpose of defending the people inside the wall and making sure that no one can get into those walls, that no one can take their land. And so what was Israel, God's chosen people, you know, the people that were actually promised this land, what were they supposed to do? Okay, God, we're, we're following you. Uh, we're here. <laughs> uh, who, who's this? What, what, what's going on here? How are they supposed to take this land if they can't even get past the walls? There's a ginormous wall in front of them. How are they supposed to conquer? How are they supposed to enjoy God's plan for them? How are they supposed to do any of this when there's this massive wall in their way? Well, God tells Joshua exactly what they need to do. And I emphasize exactly because it was important that they did exactly what he told them to do. And this is the part that, if I'm being honest, that I struggle with. Because what happened to the walls, without giving away the story, which you're probably familiar with what happens, but what happens to the walls doesn't make sense. What they did to do what happens to the walls doesn't make sense. God tells Joshua, here's what he tells them, to send the army with seven priests with ram's horn trumpets to lead the Ark of the Covenant around the walls once a day for the first six days. One time, okay? Then on the seventh day, they're supposed to mix things up a little bit and walk around the walls seven times. And then... They were to blow their horns really loud, have everyone shout, and they were promised the walls would fall over, that they would conquer, that they would take over. What? Okay, we're, I think we're allowed to look at this and go, that 
doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't think I understand, God, how walking around these walls is going to make them fall down. I don't think I understand how the sound of a horn is going to make these walls fall down. I think we're allowed to go, hang on, I'm not sure I understand. What we're not allowed to do is go, God, because this doesn't make sense, here's the way I want to do it. That is without faith. With faith, it goes, this makes no sense, but your will, your way, God. I think I've watched every episode of Mythbusters that have ever been on TV. <laughs> Smooth transition, eh? And I remember watching an episode when they were trying to prove a myth about, it was like a marching band or something like that, marching in sync across a bridge, and how that marking, marching in sync caused enough harmonic oscillation to cause the bridge to collapse, or at least that's what the myth was, that the reason why the bridge collapsed was because that took place, which is like everyone marching in sync caused it to like slowly build up more and more of, of a sway, more like oscillation, and the concrete or steel or whatever it was couldn't, couldn't hold it. That's where my mind immediately goes to when I read a story like this in the Bible. And so I think to myself, oh, I get it, I get it. I try to like rational, I try to make sense of it. I go, oh, God must have known that they built the wall on like a fault line or something. And so the, the, oscill or the uh, harmonic oscillation of them marching around the walls and them blowing the horn, of course, of course, it makes sense. God knows that's why it fell down. I don't know that's why it fell down. That makes sense in my brain. But the problem is Mythbusters busted that myth. The marching on the, on the bridge didn't cause the bridge to fall down. Although I think they went back in a later episode and switched it to plausible. But either way, they couldn't prove that the marching band caused the bridge to fall down. So God gave the Israelites this unconventional plan to see these walls come crumbling down. But, he, but what they did was incredible. In faith, they believed this crazy plan would work. Your will, your way, God, will do what you want. Sometimes God gives us instructions about how to approach these walls in our lives. And, and, and we're like, we, we, we get a sense from God that we're supposed to do, and it's like, oh, that doesn't make sense, God. There's no way that's what you want me to do in this situation. The question isn't whether or not it makes sense. The question is, do we trust God enough to put our situation in his hands? Do we trust God enough to live his will, his way? When you walk in faith, God will make the path straight. Where do I get that from? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Have faith in God with all you've got and do not rely on your own understanding. Don't say to yourself, Mythbusters proved it couldn't have happened. And do not rely on your own understandings in all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Faith is leaning on God's understanding even when it doesn't make sense to us. Scripture promises that our path will be made straight when we put our faith in God, when we get to know him, when we are close to him, when his will becomes our will. 
In the Israelites' case, they put their faith in God even when the plan didn't make any sense. And then, even if you don't know the, what happened in the story, you can probably guess, on the seventh day, they walked around the wall seven times, they blew the horns really loud, everyone shouted, and for some reason, because God is good, the walls fell down. What? How is that even possible? It doesn't make sense. What? What's happening is my brain is trying to make sense of something supernatural that took place in this situation. And I'll probably never find a theory or an explanation that ever satisfies my craving to know how this happened. And I think that's exactly God's point. Israel didn't do anything other than simply obeying God. And I believe that God could have likely had them walk backwards. He could have had them crawl on all fours. As long as they obeyed him and what he told them to do, the walls were going to fall. Because if you look at the next story in Joshua, almost immediately after the Israelites were successful against Jericho, they were unsuccessful against Ai or Ai or however you say that place. Why? Well, because once they tested a little bit of success, once they got that, they go, oh, we're good. They start to like think for themselves, hang on. What if next time we did this or what if that? God told them, don't take anything when you're in there. Don't, don't hoard things. Don't, don't take it. Leave it for God. And some of them had a different plan. And so they, they took some of the belongings that were, they were told to leave for God. See, as soon as they stopped fully trusting in God's plan, as soon as they said, yeah, yeah, that's a good plan and everything, God, but like I could get rich here. I could look after my family. I could do a good thing. As soon as they did that, the plan fell apart. And the next time they didn't trust in God and they, they met, um, they were defeated, right? The next set of walls they encountered, they were defeated. So are you leaning on God's understanding or on your own? Okay, first thing. Second thing. The next important thing, I got to fly now, oh man, is that they did it together, Okay. Pastor Chris alluded to this already, but last weekend, the Chiefs, beat the, Super Bowl, or the Chiefs beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl, okay? They had a weak first half, and Mahomes hobbles into the locker room, okay? They came out in the second half like a brand new team, like a totally different team than, than we saw in the first half. So after the game, the reporters were quick to say, what changed? You were going to lose if you played the way you were playing in the first half, and you came out and just dominated in the second half. What did Coach Andy Reid say to you that made you dominate in the second half like you did? And they all said something similar. They said something like, Coach pointed out that we weren't playing as a team, that we were making little uncharacteristic mistakes because we weren't playing together. And whether that was it or whether it was that holding call, (laughs) we'll never know what actually caused the Chiefs to win. But for my sermon illustration, it works really good to say that in the parts of life that involve other people, unity is a key ingredient. We are called to live in unity with God and with others and with others and with others. Are you good at living in unity with God and with the people in your lives? Or are you someone who finds yourself in conflict with other people all the time? The truth is, if we're going to see the impossible walls in our lives come down, it is critically important that we learn to live in unity. One of the things we can learn from the Israelite story is that they walked together in unity. They all did it. They walked around the walls. 
with one another in silence for six days. And on the seventh day, they once again walked together. And then they all, at the same time, shouted. It was mission critical that they were unified, that they worked together, that they all did what they were instructed to do. And the same is true for us. If we want to see these impossible walls come down in our lives, we need to learn how to live in unity with those in our lives. When you walk in unity, you will see the walls fall down. Now, that sounds like a really good promise. That sounds almost too good to be true. But look at what, look at what Jesus, look how important it is to live in unity. Okay? In John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus was praying one of his final prayers. And after he prayed specifically for his disciples, he moved on and he prays for everyone who would believe in him. Look what it says. Verse 20. Uh, oh, did I put both? Yeah, okay, good. I didn't put it right in my notes, but it's right up there. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Why is it important? So the world knows. Jesus understood the importance of unity. One of the last things he prayed about was that we would learn to live in unity with with each other as we are with God. When we live in unity with God and with others, we see that it has the ability to bring down walls in our lives like it did for the Israelites. But maybe even more importantly, the way we live in unity and the way that we show love to others makes other people see and believe in Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus lived his life. He lived in constant unity with the Father. He lived in unity with others, like his disciples, who constantly questioned him and didn't understand what he was saying. Over the past few years, I've recognized, I've learned to realize, that there's a few topics that you just, if you want civil conversation, for some reason, you're just not allowed to talk about anymore. Everyone's so divided that it feels impossible to reach to the other side. Take a second to imagine the feeling you have when when your cousin's spouse is going on about one of their political rants at your next family get-together. Think about that feeling when you, ah, stop. Picture the anger, the frustration you feel when someone posts something online that you disagree with. What are they, are they, what's wrong? How could they? Now think. Jesus prayed that as believers, we would live in unity with others. That includes the ones that we think are on the wrong side. It was important for Israel to do this, to stay together. And it's important that we do this, that we stay together, so that others see, how, how is this possible? This kind of unity doesn't make sense in this world. What's causing this? So that the world would notice. I can go on and on about this, but i got to move on. Another thing they did to see the wall fall, and this is my last thing, was that they praised Have you ever been to a playoff game of any sort? There's something special about a playoff game that I find that leaves like a a lasting memory. It's like this game matters, and and, and you remember that. My dad took me to a Leafs playoff game in 1996 at Maple Leaf Gardens, and we sat like the second, third, fourth row from the front, company tickets. It was like the sweetest thing ever. That was the year that Gretzky played for St. Louis Blues. Leafs lost, doesn't matter. But I remember that, okay? (laughs) And then I stopped liking the Leafs ever since then because I'm like, why am I cheering for a team that always loses? (laughs) And then in 2016, I went with some friends to the Blue Jays wildcard game against the Orioles when Edwin Encarnacion hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th. 
That was a, that was a moment, okay? And if I wasn't a Christian, and I've said this over and over and over, and, and it, I learned something that day in, during that playoff game. If I wasn't a Christian, the only way I would have been able to, to explain that moment when Edwin hit the home run and the stadium erupted was it was that it was a, a spiritual moment. Okay. I, I know better than that. But like, if I didn't know, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have been like, this is it. This is what a spiritual moment feels like. The screaming fans, the literal vibration of the building, the elation that the Jays were going to get a chance to redeem themselves after the loss to the Royals in the previous season's ALDS. And I will never, ever forget that moment. And I will never forget that feeling. And it feels wrong to even say this. But the reason why I won't forget that is because we were unified as a body of people giving praise to our team for all that they had done. I'm like ashamed to say that, but I was there screaming. There's a video I have on my phone. I'm not showing it, but there's a video that like, of all the crowd, you can hear me going, Eddie, Eddie. Oh man, it was so, I'll never forget that moment. Praise isn't only something that we do when we sing songs together. We don't need a special building. Praise happens when we actively express our admiration of something. To be clear, this can happen and should happen as we gather on a Sunday morning. But this isn't the only place that praise happens. And I think we need to pay attention to that. What's getting our praise? Do you praise God as much as your favorite director who, who you know, directed your, your favorite movies? Or do you praise God as much as you praise your favorite band when they come to town? Do you actively and regularly say to God how much he means to you? Do you? Because pray, you don't have to wait to Sunday morning till you're instructed by Pastor Don, whoever's up here, let's all raise our voices and praise God. The way you live your life should praise God. The words you say should praise God. Praise is important. And if we can learn anything from the Israelites, then praise plays a... Whew, then that's a tongue twister. Then praise plays a role in bringing down walls in our lives. Israel had been walking each of the six days in silence. Right before those walls came down, they weren't silent anymore. And I'm assuming I wasn't there, but all you could probably hear was the the shouting, the, the horns blasting, this this noise, this eruption of of sound. There's power. There, were, there was power in their shouting. Joshua gave them a purpose. Joshua gave them a reason to shout. They weren't just shouting because. They were shouting for a reason. He told them to shout because it, it, the quote is that God has given them this city. Give praise to God. Shout because this is yours. And they shouted not just because it seemed like a good idea. They shouted because God instructed them to do that. They praised because God instructed them to do that. God knew that their praise wasn't going to be what made the walls fall down. The breakthrough that took place in that wall was not caused by their screaming. Let me be clear. When the Israelites shouted, they shouted with praise, and it showed that they believed their God was bigger and more powerful than that wall that was in front of them. And that same thing is true for the walls, quote-unquote walls, that we face. 
when I think about the Israelites shouting praises to God and the walls collapsing, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas are in the highest security prison, they're, they're handcuffed, they're shackled down. What did they do? They started singing and shouting their praises to God. What could they possibly have to sing about? What could they possibly have to praise God for? They were locked in the middle of a prison with handcuffs on, shackled to the wall, shackled to the ground. They had just been beaten with rods, severely flogged. And here they are, faced with with a metaphorical wall, as well as at least four literal walls surrounding them. And through that, they praised God. What? They weren't standing in an island church, barely mumbling the words that they were reading on a screen. They were shouting their prayers and songs to God loud enough that it says all the other prisoners could hear. You probably know what happened. Not only did their chains come off, but everyone around them who heard their praises was set free. Those walls came crashing down too, being handcuffed and restrained by chains. That doesn't just feel like an impossible situation, okay? Remember this. That's the literal purpose of being put into that situation. It's impossible to escape. They encountered the walls metaphorically as well as literally, but they met their walls with praise and God set them free. But it's important to clarify something. Our praise isn't what brings the walls down. Our unity isn't what brings the walls down. Our faith isn't even what brings the walls down. Now you're like, you just wasted all my time. You told me those three things were important. Yes, they're important. But they individually are not the things that brought the walls down. The Israelites did not bring the walls down. God did. Our praise, our faith, our unity, it moves the heart of God. He is the one who breaks down the walls. He is the one who broke off the chains. And so this morning, I hope to encourage you. Place your faith in God. Trust in his ways, even when they don't, not even even if, even when they don't make sense to you. When you walk in faith, God worries about the rest. He is the one who brings the impossible walls in our lives down. We just need to keep our faith high and placed on him or in him. He will never leave or forsake us. We also need to remember the importance of living in unity. Is there someone that you can think of that you could do a better job when it comes to living in unity with them? If there is, don't walk, don't wait, run. Let's pretend just for a second, okay, that Jesus was being serious when he said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, let's just pretend he's being serious when he says, I give you a new command. What does he say? To fight on Facebook. No, to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, they will know that we are followers of Jesus by our love. Not by our ability to argue online. Not by our ability to state facts that we read. So ask God to give you the grace and the strength to show new levels of forgiveness and unity with those that you disagree with in your life. And then finally, remember to praise. Praise, praise, praise. I don't know what everyone in this room is going through, but because there's people in this room, I know we're going through things. 
It's just a matter of life is what I mean, not just because you're here. Because <laughs> if, if your life is like mine, you're going through things. Are you going through a hard situation at home? Are you in the middle of chaos at work? Does it feel like you're never, ever going to be done with school and you're in this never-ending cycle of homework and papers? I teach youth. I'm sorry, I have to. Are you dealing with a difficult family situation? Listen to this, okay? I just need to remind you. I'm going to tell you that, that praise God, praise God, praise God, because you will, you will begin to change his heart. You will, you, 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 you're not going to change God's heart. You're not going to be able to praise God enough to convince him you need a new Ferrari. doesn't work that way, okay? Look at the parking lot. <laughs> Remember this verse from before, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Your praise doesn't break the walls down. It moves the heart of God. If it's his will to do so, he will bring the walls down. And the reason why the walls came down is because that, that was God's plan for Israel. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to do it all on your own. Sometimes the, things that you, the thing that you need to do doesn't make any sense to you. But in all your ways, in everything you do, get to know him more. And as your will and your desires begin to align with God's wills and God's desire for your life, verse says, he will make your path straight. And listen to this. If the path that God is leading you down, not the path that you want to go down, if the path that God is leading you down leads straight through a fortified wall with an army full of your enemies on the other side, you can trust that he is going to break those walls down. Let's pray.